You're listening to Once a Raider, Always a Raider on the Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT the Brick. everyone, I'm JT, and thanks for joining us for our debut episode of Once a Raider, Always a Raider. Throughout this regular season, I'm going to dive into the football stories of Tom Flores and Charles Woodson, told by the people that know them best. Both Coach and C. Wood will have their respective stories told over the course of four interviews. And today, we kick off the series by talking to Tom Flores' former teammate and best friend, Paul McGuire. Paul, great to see you in Buffalo. Thanks so much for doing this. How are you? I'm fine, JT. How you doing, man? You look good. Not great. Good. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's a good compliment to start off. I want to begin with, with you and Tom were two of only 20 players to play in the AFL for its entire existence. What are your memories of those early days in the AFL? You know, we, uh, we went to camp early. We went to camp in uh, July, and we had six weeks of two-a-day practice sessions. And then we played a preseason, then we played four preseason games. So, and then if you survive that, that's the only reason I actually made it. And I think the same for Thomas, that we survived all the other players that, you know, they brought in so many guys. I had in 1960, I had just in training camp at Chapman College and right outside of LA, I had six roommates. One guy I never even had a chance to even see. They brought him in after breakfast. They timed him, looked at him. And he was gone before lunch, so I never even met the guy. And Tom, you know, I know they had the same problems that they had when he first started. And you got to remember something, that each team, when they got down to it, JT, there were only 32 players on a team. And I think five reserve squad guys. And that's all they had. So in, in those days, and I know Tom feels this, we, we talked about this damn many times, that while all you want to do is hold on. And fortunately for me, I was the only uh, kicker that they had on the team. Plus I played linebacker. So I stayed with the 32 guys, but it was a, it was a mess. I mean, you really didn't know anybody, you know, I I came out of college a lot. There were a few guys that on different teams that came out of the the pros, but most of these guys were college players coming out for their like fifth year. And the first time that Tom and I had met up is the first time we played a game. (laughs) That's kind of, that's kind of weird. But then you know, as this whole thing progressed, we just became great friends because he came to Buffalo and he played at Buffalo. And then, you know, when you play teams twice a year, like we did, we'd play with at the Raiders and then back in Buffalo. Uh, you got a chance to drink with the guys the night, be- night before. I know they don't do that now, but we did. That's how we really got to meet each other. So uh, in Oakland, we went to a place called the Cactus Room. It may not even exist now. And that's how we got to meet the guys on the other team. We'd sit, we'd drink with them. Then we'd, you know, the next day you go out and play against each other and try to kill each other. This is an incredible friendship, and you were a hell of a player, a three-time AFL champion, a multiple all-star. So you're a punter that can play linebacker. Some guys are dropping like flies. You're a two-way type of player who's playing at the highest level, and Tom Flores at that time, 
as we always talk about his ability, how great of a quarterback was he? When you saw him play quarterback and competed against him for the first time, what was your impressions? You know, the, the one thing about Tom, and it, it carried out through his whole life, and I think yeah, everybody recognized that he was very smart. You know, he was a guy that just, he learned how to play the position. And that's the thing you really had to do is learn how to play the position. And again, there are only 32 guys on the team. So you're looking at, in those days, uh, which was kind of easy for quarterbacks and for us, is we only played two defenses. We played man-to-man, and then they played a, some form of zone, which wasn't much where the, where the weak safety would help, the, the strong safety and whatever. But that's, all, that's the only defenses they really had, that had to learn in those days. And you got to remember something. You're going to play the same team twice in a year. There were only eight teams. So, but Tom, Tom was one of those guys, and he showed it more so than when he was playing, but as a coach. I mean, the guy is, is brilliant. You know, he learned how to figure things out. For people that watch football and that understand football, you'll know what I'm talking about. He was a guy that worked at it. You know, the, these guys today are in, in meetings forever and they're looking at more film. There wasn't much film in those days. You know, the only film you had is, is, that, is basically that, you know, you played the team once before and now you're going to play them again. But he was one of those guys that just, um, he just knew where the defenses were. He knew what he had to do to play the position. And that's the reason why he, he lasted for 10 years. But before we go any further about, about Tom Flores, I just want to say I've known him since 1960, and he's been my best friend for oh, 25 years, 30 years, 40, 40 years. He's the nicest person I've ever met in my entire life, and this is no crap. If you met him and you had a chance to talk to him, he's the kind of guy I don't know of anybody else. I've never heard him say a bad thing about anybody. He was one of those guys, and I think that's from his upbringing, from his family in Sanger, California. That he, if you can't say something nice about per, a person, then there's no reason to say anything at all. And that's, I think, I think that's just the way he lived his life. He was that kind of guy that, okay, it isn't as bad as you think it is, because we all had it bad. He told me, you know, growing up, what they had to eat were flour tortillas and beans. I'm not trying to be funny. That's it. Tom is the kind of guy that, you know, everybody understands he's, he's Mexican. Well, let me tell you, he's an American that happens to be of Mexican descent. (laughs) He's just one of those guys that knew how hard it was to get anything, knew how hard it was to keep anything. And he learned how to, as as a young child, how to fight for it and keep it. And that's one of the reasons why he's one of the 20 guys that actually survived the American Football League for the entire 10 years. It's an incredible backstory because I want to go back to your time with the Chargers before Buffalo and then connecting with Tom. You guys were rivals. You're playing against each other. You're not original teammates, and you turn out to be best friends. So, Paul, something happened 
at those drinking sessions at the Cactus Room or when you guys got together that you must have known because you had a lot of friends growing up and we can go back to the Citadel and the backstory we'll get to with Al Davis, but you saw something in Tom and Tom saw something in you. Do you think the connection was, as you said, family, your backgrounds and your work ethic? That's part of it. But I think the most important part of it is our, uh, our, our wives. Barbara and Beverly really became friends. And when they came to Buffalo, she had twin boys and a girl. We had three girls. They really, Bev helped them find a place to stay, where, you know, an apartment where they, can, where they can live. But the girls became better friends than we did at the beginning, Barbara and, and Beverly. And if your wife loves, really likes somebody and they're your good friends, you're going to be friends with them. <laughs> she, you know, they still, no matter all the things that Tom did, Barbara still rules the Forrest family. And don't you ever forget it. <laughs> Even the two, the twin boys and, and their daughter, they know that Barbara runs the family. So that's basically how we became really good friends because the girls did. But when he came to Buffalo uh, to play, uh, in the trade, Art Powell and, and Tom Flores, they we got, gave up Daryl LaMonica, went to the Raiders, the Bomber, and Glenn Bass was the wide receiver. That was the trade. And Tom, when we got him, his arm was still, was bothered. And he just was so smart. And being the backup, Kemp was there, Daryl LaMonica was there. But when Tom came, Daryl left. And... Everybody thought that we got screwed in the deal. Sorry, we didn't. We, we just got as good as leadership as Daryl had, or better. He was the kind of guy that just nothing bothered him. He just came in, here's the situation, and he took over. But, you know, I don't think people want, want to hear about the fact, you know, we, again, you got to understand that, that when I, we went to Oakland to play them, we went to the Cactus Room the night before. And we drank with these guys. And then the next day we got on the field and tried to beat the crap out of each other. That's just the way it was in, because the NFL wouldn't recognize us. And the AFL was what we had. And we were always the AFL. That's why Tom and I ended up 10 years in, 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 the, in the AFL. But, you know, there weren't that many guys, in, if you look way back in the AFL, that actually left any of those eight teams and went to the National Football League. There were some guys from the National Football League that eventually came to the AFL, if that makes a whole lot of sense. But the guys that you started playing with, against, we all became friends. I mean, it wasn't, you know, after practice, you just went home to the family. You didn't. You went out with the guys and you had a couple of beers and you, you talked about things that needed to be talking about. Well, I know one thing, one of the things happened in Buffalo that, that, uh, not did not happen in, in San Diego. We started Los Angeles Chargers and in San Diego, uh, Oakland was the other team that kind of basically did this. We had a meeting on Tuesday night after we looked at the film. It was at a bar at the upstairs. Nobody was allowed, no fans were allowed to come up there. And we saw the film, saw how good or bad we were, and we just ratted on each other to make sure that we broke in groups, offense and the defense, and just you look at the film, and Tom was a part of that with, with the Raiders and also with the, with the Bills when we were there. You know, you just, you just 
rip the guy. If, if you're screwing up and you're, you're not paying attention, you're not giving your, your 100%, you heard it. And of course, in those days, the quarterback, when he talked, everybody listened. And the same thing happened with the defense. The middle linebacker, who was actually our captain, was the guy that basically talked in the meetings. So I think that's where Tom got a lot of, lot of his stuff. He had to take over when he was with the Raiders. He had, he, when he went to Kansas City, he was behind Lenny Dawson. Everything that you read about and hear about Flores is honest to God. It, it's exactly what he is. What you see is what he is. Paul, I want to get back to the trade because since Daryl Monica was popular in Buffalo, was Tom coming into a bit of a hostile environment? This is before social media, sports radio. You're turning out to start this relationship to be his best friend. What was that like? How did he handle that? What were the murmurs like? What were people saying behind his back? And what did you learn about Tom's character and how he handled that? <laughs> well, we uh, we lost an Italian and got a Mexican. How was that? How's that going, Buffalo, New York? That's predominantly Italian in sections, and you know, wasn't liked at all. And he knew it. I mean, that's the first thing he had to overcome, or the fans, because they all loved Daryl Monica. They put up basically with Jack Kemp because he came out of the National Football League, and we really didn't do too well. And you know, he came in and here goes a guy that everybody in Buffalo loved. I mean, Notre Damer, Daryl Monica, he didn't become the mad bomber until he went to the Oakland Raiders. But all of a sudden here comes Flores and Tom, I mean, he won't tell you that. I knew that because he told, you know, some of the players he had a bad shoulder and, and you know, it was tough as hell. And I'll tell you what's really tough. It gives you the kind of idea about, about Tom, what he's made out of. I mean, he got booed a lot. He really did. They didn't want to lose LaMonica, but now they have Flores and we're not winning. You know, that's what these people paid for. You no, know, they're, they're buying their tickets in those days for $6. Did I say $6? You <laughs> said $6. There you go. <laughs> uh, the, the nickname Iceman, how did that nickname fit him? I think it really, I think it fit him uh, more when he became a coach mm -hmm. because, you know, he's the kind of person that when you met him and when the things were happening in Buffalo and it really wasn't good, he never let anything bother him. He knew he had a job to do. He worked harder than most. And the same way as when he was a coach in his life, if you go back to the beginning where he was born and raised, it was tough. I mean, he worked his little ass off all the time. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot to eat. Their family, their mother and father raised wonderful children. And he learned the hard way about things not coming easy. And I think that carried over more so when you saw him as a coach. Because... I don't know if you can't, you can't overstudy, you can't overthink things, but you, you, you map them out. And he had a pretty good guy behind him as an owner, Al Davis. Al was a coach, knew the game. Those two guys together put together a system and players on the team that when you have the, it's almost like you have the attitude. 
things aren't working for us here in the first quarter, but they'll get better in the second quarter and the third quarter, and we'll win it in the fourth quarter. That was the kind of mind that these guys had that, you know, no matter how bad things look in the beginning, it's not going to look like that at the end. Paul, can you share a memory of playing against Tom and the type of player he was? Funny story when, when he was with the Raiders and I was with the Chargers. We had a linebacker by the name of Chuck Allen, a middle linebacker, and he got hurt in warmups. He tore, he tore a hamstring. We only had four linebackers, so I had to play. He said, McGuire, Sid Gilman said, McGuire, you're playing middle. Hell, I never played middle before. And Jim Otto was a center. Tom was a quarterback. First play from scrimmage, I'm playing the middle linebacker. And Otto runs out of the huddle, and Tom still talked, you know, a couple of things he wanted to or make sure the guys had to play with the, with the running backs and receivers. And Otto says, he yells back, he says, Flores, you're not going to believe who's in the middle. And Flores came out of the huddle, and they start laughing, the whole damn team. And they had, they had to take a timeout. So that was the only thing I forced them to do was use one of their three timeouts. That is an amazing. They, they laughed their asses off, JT. What a story. And, but truthfully, in that game, I only made one tackle. And the re- reason I did, and it's true, I guessed wrong. They beat the hell out of me, both of them. And Otto loved it because he's the guy who was blocking me most of the time. Incredible but story. Anyway. As, as we have a few minutes <laughs> left, Paul, I got a couple, couple of quick things. Got to talk about the years he did not get the call for the Hall of Fame. And how you struggled with that, knowing him. What was that like for you, sitting at home, thinking it was his time and the call never came? It was, it was, it was heart wrenching. Honest to God, JD, because we, I'm the guy that, that that said to him every single time, you know, it's it's time that here is a guy that he wins two Super Bowls as a head coach. He's on Madden's team when he went another one, so that's three. And you, you're not judging him as a player, but he did as a player was on a, a backup role with Kansas city, Lenny Dawson, he went another Super Bowl. No reason why this guy shouldn't have been five years ago, 10 years ago in, in the hall of fame. And then as it got so close to the last three years, I cried three years ago when he didn't get it. And then when they picked last year, Jimmy Johnson and Cower over him was absolutely an insult. This is me talking, not him, because he would never say that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you something. That was the worst. The worst of all was last year when they did or two years ago when they didn't pick him. My God, what do you have to do to be uh, to be put in the Hall of Fame? This guy is to me not because of our personal relationship, his friendship belongs in the in the, in the Hall of Fame with the Vince Lombardi's and all those other head coaches, Madden that those guys won Super Bowls, did things the impossible way, and didn't get recognized. And then this last year, it's like, oh, by by the way, Flores is going in. You know, I'm going to tell you something. You know what he said? We're in, baby, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) It just doesn't matter. You know, he never bitched about the, the two before that. I did. He listened. And the things that he would say was, well, that's just the way it is. Well, that's why you're best friends, because you can talk that way for him. Finally, Paul, what is your message to Tom 
on this legacy play, your friendship. Let's just talk about you talking directly to Coach Flores, and what would you like to tell him? That I love him. I really do. He's the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. Absorb it. Love it. It's all yours. You deserve it. And for the rest of your life, you'll be known as Tom Flores, Hall of Fame quarterback, the Oakland Raiders. Well, this has been fantastic. I think everyone in the Raider Nation, everyone connected with the AFL, everyone connected with the NFL, broadcasters, because Tom was a great broadcaster for the Raiders all those years as a color analyst you know on radio, your distinguished career, this friendship is one for the ages, Paul. It really is. It's a story of two guys that met for the first time and knew instantly that they were going to have this bond for over 50 years, and the relationship is stronger than ever, and the wives are going to get to celebrate in Canton, and then the next chapter is even going to be better because you guys don't care about your football careers or Tom. You're happy for him being a Hall of Famer. It goes back to the fact that you two guys had fate. You became friends, and you never, ever let that friendship go away. And I think you should be really proud of that. Don't forget the reasons we are best of friends and will be and have been forever is our wives. They started this whole thing. And whether we liked it or not, they forced us to become best friends. <laughs> I'm only kidding, Jason. But it's, it, it's a whole family thing. It just doesn't start with just Tom and Paul McGuire. It starts with Barbara Beverly. Tom and Paul McGuire. Enjoy it. Thanks, Paul. We'll talk to you soon. Can't wait to see you in Canton. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys are terrific. Thank you. Thank you to Paul McGuire for making time to chat with us. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back with Episode 2 of Once a Raider, Always a Raider on Friday, September 24th with our guest, Hall of Fame defensive end, Howie Long. Thanks for joining us. I'm JT for Once a Raider, Always a Raider. Thank you for listening to Once a Raider, Always a Raider. Make sure to download the official mobile app and visit raiders.com history for more historical content.